then passive investors aren't going to know the difference. You know, you show the underwriting passive investors, show them, hey, man, I'm going to, I'm going to make you 30% IRR on this deal. I'm going to make you 15% cash on cash. And the investors are like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, your underwriting looks legit. Well, yeah, it looks legit. But where are the numbers coming from? Where are those projections coming from? You know, are they coming from a realistic place? Are they coming from rosy colored glasses? So, um, and, and really, I think that's the difference. It's not, it's, it's the difference between good sponsors and syndicators and bad sponsors and syndicators. It's not the fact that they, one can underwrite, one can't underwrite. Well, they both can underwrite. It's just a matter of how you look at the numbers. You know, one of them is being realistic and, you know, under-promising and over-delivering. And one of them is being unrealistic and over-promising and under-delivering. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host Jerome and I've got John Azar with me. John, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. I'm glad to have you, man. It was pretty cool to have uh, one of the folks on your team reach out via Instagram and say you got to have John on the show. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. Um, pretty, you're buying all over the Southeast, but you know, I don't want to steal all your thunder. Do me a favor and give the listeners a little bit about your background and what your current focus is. Yeah, yeah, we we are we are owner operators. We um, we are a sponsor, essentially multifamily focused, uh, based here in the, in the Charlotte area. Uh, buying uh, our assets are uh, you know all over the southeast, as you just said, uh, anywhere from the Carolinas to Georgia, Tennessee. Um, we own and operate about six thousand units, and um, we've transacted in the past eleven or twelve years of our uh, since we started. In multifamily, about 8,000 units have transacted over 8,000 units. But um, uh, yeah, we are value add uh, in nature. So we are mostly mostly deal with workforce housing, B class, um, B plus, uh, B minus, um, some C plus uh, properties. But um, and and we we do a, a value upgrade formula to all our assets, and uh, when we buy and uh, buy and hold for about four to four to six years is our average hold time. And during that time, we institute a value add equation into all our assets uh, with a, some kind of a light to medium lift uh, in all of them. And um, we try to make some money for our investors and for ourselves, hopefully. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go off the script on this interview because you're one of the largest owners that I've talked to so far. How'd you get into the space and how do you go from whatever deal zero is or deal one is to 6,000 dollars. Yeah. My brother, Tony Azar started the company. I mean, this is a family run business. We have, a, you know, we have my, my nieces work in the business. They, they run the, the uh, property management side, which is, which is capstone multifamily group. That's our property management sister arm. Um, that, that's, that's who manages a lot of all our assets for us on the property asset, property management side. Um, my brother, Tony started the, the, the business in multifamily in 2007 and, uh, 2007, 2008, we bought our first asset in Augusta, Georgia. And, um, and we kind of just started adding from there. I mean, you, 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 there's really no 
shortcut to, to growth. You just have to kind of bite the whale one, one bite at a time. You eat the whale one bite at a time. I've always said that, you know, there's no, you can't eat the whale in one big chunk. So, um, uh, I, I've always said that to anybody I talk to is, and, and you just kind of incrementally start to build up and grow and add more and, uh, get your reputation, uh, up, up and going, which is really probably the most important part in this business is reputation. And, uh, uh, and you start to get your footing underneath you with lenders and, and investors, uh, and you just keep growing. And uh, at some point in 2013, 2014, I decided to, to join my brother and, um, and, and, and take the business to, you know, to, to a different level. And uh, at that point, we were, we were approaching about 2,000 units or so, and uh, we, wanted to, we knew we wanted to grow the business um, incrementally um, a lot and uh, get to the next phase of growth, uh, next, next inflection point, uh, start to get more private equity, institutional investors. And, um, and so that's what we did. Um, and between then and now we are now obviously again, over 6,000 units, uh, over 6,000 units and, uh, and still growing. That is just absolutely amazing. Um, to be able to work with family, to be able to kind of start from, I mean, not so. Just what's your kind of your upbringing? Did you grow up really wealthy, or did you guys kind of create this from little or no means? No, so we're 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 immigrant. Um, we immigrated to the United States from Syria. Um, we um, uh, my my dad sent my brother here, and then he sent my sister, and you know, and then 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 eventually my my dad, my mom, and I moved. I'm the youngest in the family. My dad, mom, and I moved here in, um, in, the, in the late '80s. Um, and, uh, now we, we moved to the United States. We had nothing. I mean, we really didn't really start out with much. We lived in a, in a C class apartment complex in Charlotte, North Carolina. I know, um, uh, it's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I had to, uh, I had to, you know, earn a few bucks here and there to, to, to buy myself some nice Z Cavaracci jeans or something like that, you know, and I, you know, at the time, <laughs> you know, a little nice acid wash, Jordash. Um, but, uh, that was a luxury, man. That was a luxury. That was the highlight back then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so, so no, nah, man, we didn't have much. I mean, I, I didn't, my dad couldn't even afford to send me to, 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 you know, uh, four year college in the beginning, I had to, because we were immigrant and I didn't really have my, uh, we didn't have enough money. And so we needed to be in state tuition here in Charlotte. Um, so I worked, I went and work you know, with my brother. I, um, and then I went to community college in the beginning. Um, and then, you know, after a year or so, I was blessed enough to get into, you know, UNCC and, um, you know, Somehow or another made it through college, graduated, you know, graduated my way through college after, you know, God knows how many drunken nights and, and a lot of, a lot of bar backing, a lot of wait, waitering and, you know, and, and a lot of hustling jobs different here and there. Um, got my first job out of college and, um, and I kind of moved all over the, moved all over the country. I lived in, lived in Seattle. I lived in California. I lived in, um, lived in Atlanta area for a few months and um, then back to, back to Raleigh. And um, then the company I was working for got, got sold to a private equity company. And 
Um, I ended up moving to Boston and um, getting my MBA uh, from BU and um, had a whole life, you know, built a life over there. Got into investments and finance and um, worked in the, worked on the investment investment side of the business and um, and uh, then started the started the real estate uh, consulting platform in about 2004, 2005 with a couple of partners of mine from Morgan Stanley and uh, knocked the ball out of the park for a few years until about 2008. Then something, some little blip happened in 2008, 2009 that you may remember that, you know, that made us all go back and get day jobs after that. And uh, had to rebuild again, all over again. And uh, my brother's the same way. My brother was in the computer business for a long time. Um, when he moved here to the United States after graduating college and um, computer business went bust in 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002. And he had to pretty much remake himself from scratch as well and kind of rebuild the business twice. That's really cool, man. Thank you for going into that. So, you know, over these 8,000 doors, I'm sure there's been some things that haven't gone well. Would you be willing to share any of those missteps with me today? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, you, you, if you run and operate as many units as we have, and if you, you've seen as many units as we have, you know, you've uncovered a, a decent amount of dead bodies, sometimes literally. So, but, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, look, the biggest thing is, is, is you uncover the most when you do your good good amount of due diligence. I mean, and that is one thing I always tell people is, is never, never, ever estimate the amount of due diligence you do uh, because due diligence and, and being realistic and what you, how you underwrite a deal and what numbers you look at in the deal, that's what's going to save your ass in the long run. Not, it's not a guaranteed thing. You know, it, it won't save you all the time, but it will definitely take a lot of pain off the table for you most of the time. If you, if you run your numbers like, like everything is going to go to crap, you know, in a couple of years. If you run your numbers like everything's going to go to crap and you can still pay your bills, then you probably are doing okay with, with your estimates. If you run your numbers like everything's going to be hunky-dory and peachy and, you know, everybody's going to, you're going to have 99% occupancy and everybody's going to pay their bills, and um, then, you, then you're probably screwing yourself. You're, you're probably not looking at the deal right. You know? um, of course, we all like that scenario. We all like to have 99% occupancy and everybody paying their bills and, you know, we, we all get together and sing Kumbaya and everything, you know, and we all make a ton of money, but that's, that's not reality. You know, that doesn't happen that way. Um, things happen, you know, uh, it, 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 you know, excuse my French shit happens all over the time, all over the place. It, you know, it's, it's, you know, you buy an apartment complex and two weeks later, you know, you got a drive by shooting. That's the, no fault of your own. That's, you know, um, that will screw up your occupancy. You know, you, you know, you buy an apartment and, you know, a couple of years later, something catches on fire and you lose a building. I mean, so, you know, it, it, if we always look at best case scenarios, we will never account for these worst case scenarios. Um, because if you always look at best case scenarios, you will always, always be blindsided to what's going to happen on the dark side of the equation. So talk to me about, the mix, right? Because if you're too doomsday, none of your deals will pencil, right? Because of course, can yeah, all of the upside out. 
and so how do you balance that is I hear a lot of people talking about hey we're stress testing this blah 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 but what how do you decide what's the most likely scenario and you know how- yeah I mean look don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not a doomsday with all my deal, all our deals I mean, we don't take the deal and say oh my god what's going to happen when there's an Armageddon I mean, that's not what we, that's not what we, and, and this, this market right now that we're living in this unprecedented time of COVID-19 is a perfect example. Um, none of us have, seen, have foreseen this. This is, this is unforeseen from everybody and anybody in the industry. This is, this is nothing that we've penciled in. This is nothing that we've stress tested against. Nobody stress tested against some freaking global pandemic. I mean, I, you know, if you were to ask me, have you stressed us to your assets to a global pandemic six months ago? I would have said, well, are you kidding me? What, what do you mean a global pandemic? What is, this ain't no movie. But everybody sideline is but, smart right now they weren't doing anything there's nothing wrong and then the people who are actually playing the game they're like how do you plan for this how'd you yeah start? yeah you, i mean you don't and you, and you don't but what would you do play for is you do stress test and you stress test to to reasonable levels and when i say reasonable levels is you know if if you could stand your occupancy to dip to for us, you know, we stress test to occupancy dipping to the to the eighties range. Um, you know, eighty five. If the deal still holds up and we can still pay our bills with eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven percent occupancy, then we're good. If you know, we stress test with um, with rent defaults to let's call it five, six, seven percent default rate on rents. Um, which, by the way, that got blown up all to hell right now because that that you know we're way past that as far as default rates concerned. But but if you stress test with six seven percent, and most of the market is stress stress testing to maybe a two and a half or three percent, so you're almost double stress testing, then you should be good. I mean, for the most part, in a normal environment, you should be good um, as far as default rates concerned. Then you you know, you, you you stress test of what you can. Um, you also also so. The two stresses I just mentioned is one for, for occupancy, one for defaults on payments, on, on rent payment. Uh, you, you, the third stress test you do is, is you stress test uh, with growth, market growth. What's going you know, to happen? The, kind of the exit cap rate. You, know, what you, go, you go in at a certain cap rate, you're buying the property at, let's call it a six cap rate, and you're estimating that you're going to sell it in four or five years and exit out of it with, a, you know, I don't know, maybe – Maybe maybe a six cap rate, maybe a six and a quarter cap rate. Maybe maybe you add another twenty basis points. Say you know what? Maybe market is going to go a little crappier, so I'm going to make it a six forty cap rate. You know, so it's going to be it's going to worth maybe not as much as as as, as I think it's going to be. So you stress tested that way, and if the numbers still come penciling okay with with that kind of a cap rate, then great. And you know what? In four or five years, if you get there and you sell your property at five point eight percent cap rate, then my gosh, you made you just made yourself a boatload of money Everybody. and your investors. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. You know? Um, so, so that's another stress test that, you, that, that, we, that we do. And we, you know, and we, we always add, you know, we always go probably, I would say, you know, whatever everybody else in our, in our market is doing as far as stress testing, we usually add another 20, 30% beyond that to stress test the market. 
Um, you know, rent growth, for instance, that's another stress test that you do for rent growth. You know, a lot of people, and that's the biggest stress test that people always, always, always overestimate. Um, a lot of operators go in with, you know, with a, with a rosy, rosy colored glasses and say, oh yeah, I can take this unit here, man, slap a new countertop, you know, put in a couple of new appliances. I can charge $250 more rent. I'm like, really? Can you really, can you really charge $250 more rent with a, with a new countertop and some slap some paint on a <laughs> on, on some cabinets and you think you can get 250 bucks more rent? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, you know. Even John, the passive investors believe it. <laughs> the passive investors are, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, you know, yeah, I mean, look, you can make the numbers dance however you want them to dance, you know, and that's the big, that's the biggest thing. So, if if you if 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 you take a underwriting, all underwriting is is a bunch of numbers that you that you put together and 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 you can tweak the formulas around however you want to tweak them. I mean it's it's but if you're not looking at the numbers in a realistic way, if you were saying, well, I'm going to get two hundred fifty dollars worth of rent bumps next month, as opposed to yeah, I may be able to get away with fifty bucks or forty bucks. Then passive investors aren't going to know the difference. You know, you show the underwriting passive investors show me, hey man, I'm going to I'm going to make you 30% IRR on this deal. I'm going to make you 15% cash on cash. And the investors are like, oh my gosh, yeah, your underwriting looks legit. Well, yeah, it looks legit, but where are the numbers coming from? Where are those projections coming from? You know, are they coming from a realistic place? Are they coming from rosy colored glasses? So, um, and and really, I think that's the difference. It's not. It's it's the difference between good sponsors and syndicators and bad sponsors and syndicators is not the fact that they one can underwrite one can't underwrite well they both can underwrite it's just a matter of how you look at the numbers you know one of them is being realistic and you know under promising and over delivering and one of them is being unrealistic and over promising and under delivering what's up guys it's your host jerome i just want to let you know we launched Myers methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor if you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business hop over to our website at myersmethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily now let's get back to the episode which camp would you like to be in i i, I don't know about you i always like to be in the and under promise and over deliver. I always under promise over deliver and everything. So let's talk a little bit about that because there are some investors who are looking for, you know, they, they compare pro formas or offerings and the, they pick the one with the highest return, right? Every time and I'm putting my 50 or my 25,000 or $100,000 in this deal. I'm yep. The one that's going to offer me 10 instead of 8.9. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can't, you know, I, unfortunately I can't proof against, um, against lack of knowledge and sometimes ignorance. I just, you can't proof against that. I don't know how I can, I, I can't always win deals just by the numbers. So if somebody's is, if, if the investor is looking at my deal and it happens all the time, I pass on it. I pass on it. We pass on investors all the time. I, you know, I we get I get an investor that says, you know, hey, I, I'm expecting I, I want my deals to have 15, 16 percent. I have I'm looking at a deal right now. It's gotten that's gonna it's gonna give me 16 percent guaranteed cash on cash every. I'm like, oh, guaranteed, really? Oh, I was like, what? 
What is he buying? Government bonds? I mean, I don't understand. Where, where is this guarantee coming from? He's like, well, you know, that's, that's what the numbers they gave me. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, my deal is going to pay 12% or 12 to 15%, you know, and I, I, I'm not saying I guarantee, but I'm going to tell you that look at my track record for the past 10 years and look at all the investments that we've made and look at all the numbers that we've been able to deliver for the past 10 years. And they are consistent with the numbers I'm telling you. So if you're going to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about against some guy who just, just started buying his first multifamily or a second or third multifamily and is, is guaranteeing you quote unquote 15 to 18% numbers, then, you know, brother, God be with you, you know, go, go invest with him. And I don't, you know, I can't, uh, you know, and then you start digging into the numbers and that's when you start asking some questions and, and I say, okay, so what is he expecting his occupancy to be? What is he expecting his rent bumps to be on, on that deal? What is he penciling for that? What is he penciling for that? What is he penciling for that? And once you start doing, talking about the numbers and you start getting a more comprehensive conversation, I can always win a deal. I can always win a deal. But it's, it's people who wants to have a blind, blinders on and say, I don't want to hear about the numbers. I just, I'm looking at this performa and it, it gives me the right numbers that I want to look at. And I'm just going to go with the highest numbers. I'm like, okay, great. Go with the highest numbers. You know, it's the same investors that a year later are going to call me and say, man, that deal went belly up. And I'm like, well, no shit. <laughs> We're still I didn't make no, I didn't make no 18%. I'm like, nah, you didn't make no 18%, did you? So, so what would you, you say to somebody that doesn't have a 10 year track record, but is looking to pre present realistic numbers to potential partners or investors, how do they work with the investor in order to get them to participate in the deal? Just, just, just be real and pragmatic on your numbers, man. Just um, talk to other people. You know, it's a small industry. Talk to other people in the industry. There are a lot of sponsors that are like, I, I still reach out to sponsors. You know, we reach out to sponsors all the time that are in the same boat as, as we are. I always like to talk to peers in the industry. There, there is no competition in this industry. And, 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 and it, that's one thing that people sometimes mistake. There's no competition. I don't, I'm not competing. I, I mean, because, it, and, and, and that sounds weird because, you know, we say there's no competition. Because, look, man, if you can make the numbers work on the same asset as I'm looking at and I'm scratching my head saying, man, I can't make the numbers work, then God bless you. You know, go take it. It's not a competition. Then you, you must be doing something that I'm not, I can't figure out how to do that. You're making the numbers work for you. Then go, go take it. Um, so, you know, I, I don't believe that I don't believe in competition in this industry. I mean, you can either make the numbers work for yourself or you can't make the numbers work for yourself. And if you can't make the numbers work for yourself, somebody else can make the numbers work for, for themselves. So, um, and, and, and growth in this industry is knowledge. Growth is just sharing the knowledge. It's not hoarding it. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, oh, I know how to underwrite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the way I look at numbers just me. It's mine. And you can't look at this. You can't, I'm not going to share with you how I look at numbers. Well, why not? What, you know, what's, what's, I can tell you right. I can go through with you right now the way that we underwrite our deals. It doesn't make, that doesn't make you overnight that you're going to be able to go out and, and slam me in the markets that we're buying in. You know, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to, if, if you can go overnight from, just from me explaining our underwriting to you and, and get five, 6,000 units, then my goodness, he must be a genius, you know, or 
you know, have, uh, I don't know, Warren Buffett as your backer or something like that. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how you can do that. So, so, you know, you got me, so there's no competition. It's, 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 it's sharing knowledge, talking to your peers, you know, comparing notes, seeing where things are, seeing how everybody's looking at the same formula. That's how you get, that's how you get better. That's how you improve. It's not, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't happen in isolation. You don't grow and improve and get better in a bubble. Nobody does that. You know, it's, it's, you know, people who are in a bubble, they don't grow, they die. So did you learn that through experience or you always knew that just by being collaborative in your approach? I, I've always been collaborative in my career in general, um, whether it's in the stock market, whether it's been, you know, in, um, you know, my, my, my previous work in, in structured finance, um, and certainly, certainly in multifamily, multifamily in the past five or six years of certainly taught me a, a lot of collaboration skills. Um, you know, I, I speak at a lot of conferences and in, in, in commercial real estate and, and I see a lot of the same people over and over again, every time I go to travel to these conferences and, um, you know, some of the, some of the best insights, some of the best deals, some of the best, you know, um, uh, market intelligence that I've gotten have been from peers, from people just like me, from sponsors that are doing exactly the same kind of work, maybe different market, maybe similar market. Um, they have different focus, different investors, but you know, when you get together and talk and, 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 uh, exchange knowledge about where you are, or how you're looking at things, the world opens up to you. I mean, and it's, it doesn't take anything away from you. It actually adds to you as opposed to taking anything away from you. So, so I, I think the biggest advice I can give is, is just, just be open to collaboration, be open to knowledge, share, share first, and you shall receive later. Don't always, always expect to receive first before you share. Always share, always share. At some point or another, it will come back to you. Wow, that's perfect. Without me even asking the question about words of wisdom, John, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, of course, man. If folks want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can email me, John, uh, J-O-H-N, at MacVP.com, M-A-C-C-V-P.com. You can, um, you can find me on LinkedIn under Jalal John Azar um, or Mac, Mac Venture Partners. Uh, you can uh, find me on Instagram uh, or you can go to our website, which is uh, MacVP.com, M-A-C-C-V-P.com. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. You made it to this juncture. So you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you. Ooh.